And I want to greet you all, Bazalana, in the name of Jesus. I am so thankful. I don't know. I just woke up this morning. The short sleep we had in my bishop, Pushem. But when I woke up, I think prime on my mind was how the grace of God has carried us. Hallelujah. So next week, I'll talk about other things. But today, as tradition in our church, I just tried to give the first year's sermon just to give guidance to people as to how to handle vision for your life. How I wish I had known this much earlier in my work with God, teachings around vision and the like. But however, by default, I think one did follow vision, given the fact that uh, I knew quite early in my life that I was called into ministry and had the privilege of being raised in a good home, good dad, good mom, and of course attended uh, Youth Alive ministries where they would talk to us about our goals and also attended the Uniting Reformed Church and many other places that I went to. So by default, one grew up, you know, understanding vision, but really didn't understand it to the depth that I do now. And so it's a practice in our church that on the first Sunday of the year, I want to do my best to at least talk about vision. You may know what I'm going to say. You may know about vision. But until you do it, you don't know it, all right? You may know the things that I'm going to say, but there's other sides about vision that you need to know. But I'm also doing this because one of the things I've been able to understand is that if you can work out early in your life vision concerning your life and pursue that, you'll go very far in life. You know, in life, you don't have to know many things. Really, you don't have to be very rich. Don't have to be very popular. Don't have to be handsome or pretty, right? Don't have to be liked. But you just have to know a few things that you can give yourself totally to, wholly to. And when you look at people who have made it in life, it's people who, as much as they may be involved in multi-sectoral things, they figured out what those things are, and they give themselves wholly to those things. You've got to know your vision the purpose for your life, and give yourself fully to that. At, as your life unfolds, later on in your life, there will be a lot more outcomes of success in your life than somebody who has all the gifts and the talents and the intelligence, but they have no vision, they have no direction. You know, they have started a lot of small things Projects that are at ground level, at foundation level, but nothing is completed. And what we'd love to do is to at least have one building completed. I mean, and I'm using the word building in a figurative sense. So the question I want to ask this morning is, what do you see? All right. Turn to your neighbor and say, what do you see? What do you see? Now, if you're watching at home, turn to somebody who's sitting next to you and what do you see? And what do you see? What do you see? What do you see? Or if you want to call it in another way, I want to talk about the power of vision. Proverbs 29, 13 and 18 is our two texts that I want to focus on with the time we have right now. Verse 13 reads, The poor man and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. Wow. 
Verse 18 then says of the same chapter, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. I'm reading the New American Standard Version. But happy is he who keeps the law. Now, the book of Proverbs is, is called one of the books of wisdom. It's called the wisdom book. One of the wisdom books of the Old Testament. It contains instructions on many of the practical matters of daily life. As a young Christian, I spent a lot of time reading the book of Proverbs. I still do even now. And I'm thankful for the training we got in our spiritual formation to be assisted to learn the discipline of Bible study. And reading the Bible in a systematic way and in systemic way and making observations, underlining, making notes. You people call it journaling. And the book of Proverbs has always been my most favorite book. Of course, I knew it because I went to church since I was young. In our church, the United Reformed Church, they used to read from the book of Proverbs. But as I read the book of Proverbs, particularly in translations that I could understand, I found out it's a very unique book. Because the word proverb there uh, is actually something that was there in the literature of ancient cultures. Ancient cultures had proverbs like we do in our African tradition and customs. We have proverbs. We have idioms. We have stories. You know, we grew up in a time of storytelling. There was no television. So we'd sit down and, and hear a story. Like a piri. Anybody knows that? Okay, a little bit what we were talking about. But the interesting thing about whatever story was told, there was a, a moral issue they were dealing with about the story. The Hebrew culture is so similar to our culture that they do the same. And so this book is named after that practice of Proverbs. The difference with the Proverbs we read in the Bible, they differ from the cultural ones of the Hebrews and our cultural ones as Africans, is that the distinct thing about these Proverbs, it's not stories that are just made by human beings, but it is stories that are important and distinct that point us as believers to God. And it is God trying to give us a life, trying to give us life instructions on how to do life, how to be wise, how to behave, how to be moral, how to be wise. God's trying to show us how to be upright in life, things to avoid, things to run away from, turn away from. God shows you, you know, how you need to learn to be a hard worker. And these lessons are drawn from a myriad of things, from nature, creatures that are around. Think about, I think it's uh, Proverbs 6, says go to the ends, thou sluggard. Learn from the ends. So these lessons are taken from everything we see around. As a matter of fact, if you have enough insight, you could realize that every day you walk around, you could learn something. It depends what you see. Many people are surrounded by lessons, but they don't see it. Many people have great examples around them, but they don't see it. And that's one of the things that surprises me sometimes, 
that even in us trying to model things to people, show them how things are done, people are around examples, an exemplary life, but they don't learn anything, they don't see. Tell somebody, I hope you see in 2023. I hope you see. I hope you see. I hope you see. And so, the book of Proverbs, that's what I like about it, and I really would advise every young person to read that book. Read it every day. Read it every day. Underline, learn from it. Do what it says. You know? I mean, the book of Proverbs will teach you how to handle powerful people. You know? It will, it will teach you how to not invite Put a knife on your throat. Scourge too much because sometimes people give you food to see how you eat and they determine your worth the way you eat. You understand me? Book of Proverbs, why you must not be in debt. It's in the book of Proverbs. It's in the book of Proverbs. So I just love that book of Proverbs. The difference, these are not just sayings of mere men. These are sayings of God as he gives us instructions on how to do life. I found how to do life is where the mystery of life is. Because life is not lived with intelligence or high IQ. You know, life is really not lived with strength or lived with fame or whatever. It's really not the mighty or the powerful, really. It's wisdom is a different thing. It's just how to make life work. There's many people who just don't know how to make life work. The life's not working. They have everything in place, Mara. It's not going anywhere. But 2023 is going to be a different year for you. Oh, can I hear a good, powerful amen in the house? The name of Solomon, therefore, as author of this book, is associated with this book. From the very beginning, it tells us who wrote this book. You remember who Solomon was? You remember who he was? Ask your neighbor if they know who the Solomon is. They said they know. Yeah, but I check them. Yeah, no, no, she doesn't know. She doesn't, she doesn't know who Solomon is. Eh? She doesn't. You do, judge. She, she doesn't look like she knows. She doesn't, she doesn't know who Solomon is. All right. Solomon was a son of David who, after he had given offerings to God in uh, dedicating, uh, rather in, rather giving offerings to God, dedicating his life to God, serving God, God one day was so pleased with Solomon's devotion and commitment that God gives Solomon, and I know today we don't have it, we call it a blank check. I don't know what to call it in today's practice because we don't use checks anymore. You people, you use cryptocurrency, so I don't know, I don't know what they, I don't know what I liken it to, but God gives him a blank check, and God says, I'm so pleased with you, Solomon, that I'll give you anything you ask, anything. God says anything. Yeah, here's a blank check, just fill in the amount. Eh? Eh? Imagine God coming to you and saying anything. Yeah, I can, some of you I can already hear a Lamborghini there. Yeah, I can, I can hear this side. I can see this side. I can recognize Lamborghini. I can recognize Maserati. What shall we say? Instead of Solomon asking for long life, instead of him asking God to kill his enemies, things that people would do those days, instead he asks for wisdom. He asks for wisdom. And so this man who's writing is a man who had wisdom that came from God, had lived out his life. See, I tell, I, I tell people, I say, listen, you better listen to people who are more senior to you. Because you see, we, we've made a lot of mistakes in life. We've got the scars to show for it or the wrinkles to show for it. Whatever you want to quote. There are things we look back, we, we, we realize we shouldn't have done that. 
We should have done that. We, we, we thought we can get away with it, but we didn't get away with it. So you are wiser in listening to a person who's been through something than thinking who they don't know what they're talking about. So the perspective here, Solomon here, has to be respected. Because this is a man who has lived life, but lived life by the wisdom that came from God. And so the things that Solomon says, you're going to listen to them twice or three times and ten times more. And if you stick to it, it will give you wisdom. Let me just give you the opening part of Proverbs, the way it starts. And I'm reading the New King James Version. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David. This Proverbs chapter 1, first chapter, first verse. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Uttering, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, equity. I wish I could spend time on that. I'm not going to. To give prudence to the simple. So in other words, Do you understand what I'm saying? God can give prudence to the simple. So I'm not clever for it. Note what it says. To give to the young knowledge and discretion. There are people who are knowledgeable, but they don't have discretion. They don't know what fits where. They don't know the proper thing to do. They've got knowledge, but they don't have discretion. He says, a wise man will hear and increase learning. So, see, you see when someone is not wise, when you advise them, bangala. What do you say it in English? They ngala. When somebody is not wise, they can't take correction. They, they, you can't correct them. You can't confront them. You can't teach them. But tupulamulom, what do you say it in English? Tupuling them alone. But a wise person, and this is why you'll note in life, when you meet people who have well achieved, who are very knowledgeable, they don't sit there and try to impress you with what they know and make you feel small because they know more than you. No. I was shocked when I was preaching at one major conference, big, big conference of people who've preached for years long before me. Big ministries larger than the one I'm leading, even if we are leading a large church. And I, I felt so unqualified in that conference. I won't lie to you. I just felt I don't fit there. But the host of the conference felt I had something to say to the conference. So I participated in this conference overseas, by the way. Overseas, by the way. Anyhow, <laughs> overseas, by the way. <laughs> and during the break, before, after I had spoken, we were sitting together as guest speakers. And one of these major, major authors, huge leader. I mean, this man speaks to corporates. This man trains government leaders. I mean, this man is not a joke. It's a leader of note. Comes back, sits next to me, says, Musa, you know, when you said that in that verse, I didn't know that. He says, I didn't know that principle. I'm thinking, serious. <laughs> serious. Because you see, a person who is knowledgeable, they don't have to parade their knowledge. And their being knowledgeable makes them know that they need to know more. So they will learn from anybody. Do you understand? So, is already a sign of a bar. Because you don't realize how much what you are being told can save your life. There are things that will save your life. I'm telling you. It will preserve your life. When other people's life is bombing out, God will preserve your life. I see your life being preserved in 2023. I said, I see your life being preserved in 2023. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 5. says, a wise man will hear and increase learning. 
And a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. They will go for advice. Yeah. Go for advice. But wise counsel, not just anybody's advice. To understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. And I love the way, and I, I wanted to end go verse 7. I like the way it says, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Yeah. Yes, he says, start with God in your knowledge. Start with God. Know God first. He says, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So let's go back to our two verses and kind of unpack them. young people. Let's start with the first one, verse 13 of Proverbs 29. Excuse me. It says, the poor man, excuse me, and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. That's the New American Standard Bible. Let me read it in other translations. The Bible in basic English says, the poor man and his creditor come face to face. The Lord gives light to their eyes equally. And when you read other translations, it kind of carries the same sense. Now, when you read this verse on face value, all right, it sounds like this verse in, implies that God predetermines people's destiny. Sounds like it. Sounds like it. It sounds like God predetermines who will be rich and who will be poor. And there's nothing you can do about it. That's the way it sounds like. And this is where when people read the Bible on face value and they come out saying a lot and they don't know anything about the Bible, we need to challenge them. You see? Because if God predetermines who becomes poor, who becomes rich, then that becomes contradictory of all that we know about God as revealed in his word and it's contradictory of his nature. All right? It, it, it contradicts the nature of God or, or the character of God. You know, I, I, I think this was when I, when I was in Bible school, 1982, one of our lecturers said something that really, really made a mark on me. He said, you know, oftentimes when people read the Bible, they seem to live out the character of God. We cannot separate you from your character. I'll try this once. I'll try this so we can't separate you from your character so in other words we, we can't separate you what you say from who you are meaning your word is only as good as your character so meaning that your word is only as good as your character. Otherwise, So it means a person's character defines how we understand what they say. There are people who are not reliable. Right? So even if I can't next week, so say evangel. Do you understand what I'm saying? So say evangel, why put Look at somebody and say, hey, I hope he's not talking about you. So, so if, if God makes certain people poor and makes certain people rich, then it, it means God shows favoritism. But when you read the Bible, 
God doesn't show favoritism. In his character, he doesn't show favoritism. Let me read you scriptures concerning that. Acts 10.34, when Peter was preaching at the house of Cornelius, this is the statement he makes in verse 34 and verse 35. Last part of 34, he says, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. And I like what he says in verse 35 because it, to me it answered so many questions. He says, but in every nation, he that fears him and works righteousness is accepted with God. Any nation of the world. In Frank Bazalana, let me, let me hit a myth here. Because you know this one, since 2022, 2023, you know, sometimes we hear people trying to give an impression that, you know, you know, you are worshiping the God of the Jews and the God of the Jews. And, the Jews. and I'm thinking, there's something they don't understand about the Bible. Let me, let me unpack it for you. Let me unpack it for you. Let me unpack it for you. The name Jewish, right, or Israelite, it's a name that came and was given to a man who was a cheat, a hill grabber, a wrongo, called Jacob. And God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Because at that stage of his life, Jacob had wrestled with God, but had come to a point where he was conquered by God. He had given himself to God, so the name Israel meant one who has been conquered by God and has now become a prince with God. So the name Israel wasn't meant to be a, 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 a designation of ethnicity or race, but of character and covenant. All right? All right. But who was Jacob? But if you... If you trace his genealogy, he dates back to Abraham. But who was Abraham? Abraham or Abram was not an Israelite and he was not a Jew. Abraham, Mamela, he comes from South Iraq. He was never raised in a background of a Jehovah God of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. He was raised in a culture that worshipped the moon God like most nations of the world did, of course. Nations of the world worshipped the moon God. They had their own way of worship. So when God wanted to introduce himself into the human race, he looked around the whole earth to every ethnicity. And I'm coming back to that verse. In every nation of the world, I, this is my hypothesis. I can't prove it. But I think it's something to work with. When God looked in Iraq, God realized that this guy, at least I can work with him. God could have looked anywhere. I think God did look in, South, in Africa. I think God looked everywhere. But when God met Abraham, you note when you read Genesis 12, 13, 14, how God is kind of warming himself 
to kind of introduce himself to this guy who doesn't know who God is. And God uses the blood covenant as a connecting point. As an entry level, God has to use terms and conditions that this man, who's not Jewish, not Israeli, but he's Iraqi, understood. And bit by bit, God started wooing this man back and back and back, introducing himself to this man until this man could understand and accept God and, and decide, okay, I'm going to follow you because God says, leave your nation, leave your... So God could, have, God could have gone to any race group. So, you know, I, I don't know how people... And so my argument is this, in any nation of the world, Black, white, yellow, pink, whatever. African, South African, Iraqi, whatever. Whatever. Across all cultures of the world, God talks to all of us in all cultures of the world. And he says to all of us in all cultures of the world. Verse 34. Peter says, in all nations of the world, those who fear him and work righteousness, he will accept them. God says, I'm making an open invitation. Whoever wants to work with me in every nation of the world, I'll work with them. And when God comes into our lives, he challenges what we do in our own cultural context. Because all cultures of the world, they are valid, they are dynamic, but they're also sinful. There's aspects of cultural practices that are okay. But there are certain aspects, according to God's standard, we are not supposed to obey them. We're not supposed. So, it doesn't matter whether you're white, black, whatever. God's going to come to every culture. And there are things about our cultural practices around the world that God will question and say, that's not according to my standard. Yeah. Yeah. So, Peter says, in every nation of the world, those that fear him, and who work righteousness that are accepted by him. So God has no favorites. The only thing God is looking for is who is willing to work with me. God doesn't even look at whether you are male or female. He doesn't even care how old you are. You may be a child. God will work with you. You may be an old person. God will work with you. God doesn't look at social status. Oh, come on. I, I wanted to hear an amen in the house. Nobody's going to move God. Nobody's going to influence God. Nobody's going to cause God to like them more others. It's, 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 it's a fair deal. Everybody is given the same opportunity. God's not a, 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 a respecter of persons. Look at Deuteronomy 10, 17. It says, for the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, note what it says, which regardeth no man. He regardeth no persons. New King James Version, please, at the back. He regardeth no man. So in other words, Mudimu is, is, is not impressed by men. And I like the way it says it. Who not, not takes reward. Look at somebody and say, Mudimu anke chochone. You can't bribe God. You can't force God to do what he doesn't want. You can't decide to go outside of what he wants and expect to be favored by him. Look at your neighbor and say, Look at Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. 
verse 11. Romans 2, verse 11 says, For there is no respect of persons with God. So these verses confirm throughout the Bible that God is fair. But then Proverbs 29, 13 then troubles me. Troubles me. Because it says the poor man and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord lightens both of the eyes. So, you know, God, I don't understand. The poor man, the rich man now, what happened? Well, the key is lies in that second part. Both of them, God lightens their eyes. Both of them. Whether they're poor, born poor, born rich, whether they're poor through a systemic things, and we understand, I'm not going to take for granted or, you know, try to, you know, uh, airbrush the realities of oppression and apartheid and subjugation and, and unfairness. It leaves a dent and a mark and a long journey of recovery. And sometimes poverty becomes entrenched in the systems. So it becomes a systemic way. I'm not overlooking that. I'm intelligent enough to understand all those things. But even then, I want to say to you, even then, in spite of our background, even if you are an oppressed person, even if you are a disadvantaged person, even to you, God still enlightens your eyes. He enlightens your eyes. One Bible scholar brings more clarity on this verse. And he says, you know, this verse in the Hebrew is phrased differently. He says, this is how it should read. God made people. Some become rich, some become poor, depending on how they see. This means, therefore, how we see determines the outcome of our life. Remember now, I'm not overlooking the other variables of being previously disadvantaged. But even when you come from that background, if you can see, you see the word see, the word light, enlighten, eyes, in the Bible they usually speak of vision. That's why then verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. The New American Standard Bible says, where there's no vision, the people are demoralized. The Spanish Bible says, where there's no vision, the people run like wild, untamed horses. Why? Because vision gives direction to your life. Vision gives purpose to your life. Vision lifts you up even when they try to oppress you. Vision helps your spirit not to be weakened. Vision gives you courage. Vision makes you to be a disciplined person. Vision makes your life not to be thrown into confusion and disorder. Vision becomes the focus of your life. And therefore, the poor and the rich, this is what God does to all of them. He gives them vision. And vision becomes the gift that God gives. And read the Bible. Read periods when people in the Bible went through a very difficult time. I noticed this as I was reading last year. Right through the Bible. You know, we talk about revival, renewal, restoration, all these terms we use, you know. You know, Israel would go through things, they then they would do well, they would flourish, and then things go bad, and they would backslide, and they'd walk away from God, and they'd go into depression. And how does God source people out of that? You know what he would do? He raises somebody who gives them vision. 
Because God's response and God's answer to taking somebody out of a hole is to give you vision. There's something about it when God lightens your eyes. There's something about it when vision gets hold of your heart. There's something about it when your heart is on fire with vision. There's something about it when God speaks into your heart that it doesn't matter where you are born. doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how many years you have been oppressed. It doesn't matter what people have said about you. Once your eyes are able to be enlightened, once you begin to see you are going somewhere, can I hear a good amen in the heart? Vision is the best gift. And that's why Satan will see to it that instead of having vision, you live your life to chance and coincidence. Many people, Baba Taloto. Like I said last night, Baba Tabo They're hoping one day they will get a breakthrough. Listen to me. You're not going to get a breakthrough if you don't have vision. Just forget it. You are not going to. I'm telling you. You won't get it. The people who have progress in their life is the people by coincidence found them on the way already. One of the major decisions as a young preacher that I made by God's grace is to say, you know what, God, I'm leading a church. I'm in a community that is not well-resourced. We don't have a lot of money. We don't have a lot of anything. But we will do what we can with what we have. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I knew. In our church, when we started, we didn't have millionaires. We didn't have people with doctorates and all that. You know, people used to mock us. You should hear the things they used to say. Scoff and mock. We had one car in our church. You know those cars that need a miracle to start? You know that car? And after Easter, you must pray for it to stop because it's just a sick car. You know that kind of car when somebody comes and says, can we go to Pretoria? The driver says, do you think it will, it will make it? That's the church that I started leading, 1983. No rich people, just young people. No people of great whatever, nothing. Nothing. Yeah. But a lot of vision in the heart of the young leader. Yeah. And for 40 years, for 40 years, by the grace of God, we followed that vision. Now when people see us Renality building, Renality in these jealous people, start to check if we are not what what. When we gave our lives to vision, and this is what I want to share with you this morning in this session. Why? Because we're not a unique story. Yeah. 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 I didn't go to a Model C school. I don't come from a rich home. No. 
No. No. No. I went to Bible school after I matriculated. I didn't go to university. I didn't. But I understood vision. Yeah. I understood vision. Yeah. I understood following vision. Yeah. It's not money you need. It's not fame you need. It's vision you need. Because vision will attract money. Ah, come on, somebody give the Lord a shout. It's vision that will cause you to be distinct, to be known. The Bible says your gift will make room for you. It will bring you before kings. Don't be obsessed with shortcuts. Find your path of vision today. Follow that path faithfully as I'll be showing you. Do you have time today? Somebody told me you are ready to be here the whole day. So my sermon is for the whole day. It's a new, it's a new year's present. I'm going to finish the sermon. It's a powerful one. So keep, just stay there. Know this then. Let me give you some quotations on visions. P.K. Bernard said, A man without a vision is a man without a future. Then he says, A man without a future will always return to his past. End of quote. So you see people locked in a vicious cycle. Have I in now? Ever since Mandulo, Alimo, and every year they make New Year resolutions. Come to the altar, I am rededicating my life. Doing that without vision is not going to help you, my dear. Go to have vision. So not about how much you cry at the altar. So not about how much you roll on the floor after we've laid hands on you. So not about how much we prophesy over you and how much we lay hands on you until your hair falls off your head. It's about vision. Because when you have vision, when we pray for you, the prayer adds fuel to the vision that is already existing. Clady Keith says, and I quote, a knife cuts because it has a narrow focus. End of quote. Vision is like a knife. Gives you focus. It's people who don't have focus. They're going everywhere. In one year, they have done a hundred things and achieved nothing. You see? Yeah. Be like a knife. Larry Randolph says, and I quote, when God predetermined our destiny, he factored in our stupidity. Therefore, there's always enough time to finish, end of quote. Habakkuk says, vision is for an appointed time. But I mean, I look at last year, there's so many things that I thought we could do, we didn't do. And sometimes it pains me when I see people that we are leading being Kitlaring. I'm trying to look for a nice Christian term. Being so impatient with us. I mean, we, we commissioned people for churches. Some of them are because we haven't assigned them specific things. Hey, and I'm saying, we, we, we don't want to rush into this. We have to do things right. 
Because you must go ask those who are already leading churches. Some of them are saying, Bishop, don't you think you should have allowed me to stay for two more years? But vision has its time. Sometimes it takes longer than what you thought. Okay. Okay. It may take you six years to complete a degree course here, four years. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Stay focused. Don't cut corners. Don't try to, don't justify the, 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 the end, the, 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 the means by the, the end by the means. In other words, you, you, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. Why create problems and landmines on your path? Things that will come back and bite you later. Why do that? Why don't we wait it out? Let it take long. Let it come the right way, the righteous way. Yeah, thank you for those hands. Give the Lord a big hand, everybody. <laughs> Dr. Miles Monroe says, and I quote, Eyes that look are common, but eyes that see are rare. Seeing is the function of the eyes. Vision is the function of the heart. Let's define vision. Number one, vision is the bridge between the present and the future. Vision is what takes you from here to there. Because vision is simply a picture of a preferable future. Note the two words, preferable and the word future. It's not there. It's in the future. And it's something that is preferable. It's what you are. It's your dream. It's not reality. It's what you want to become. It's a, it's, you've gone up a notch. Two notches, three notches. It's better. At that stage, you are not there. So it's vision. Our first definition. It's that bridge between the present and the future. So when you don't have a vision... You, you, you live in the present. And you never take advantage of the possibilities that lie in the future. When you don't have vision, you, you always allow even the present circumstances to dictate to you. You'll see in my sermon later, the path of vision is filled with sacrifice, problems, and issues. But when you have vision, that doesn't, that doesn't move you. That should never move you. Number two, Vision is the ability to see further than your eyes can look. To see further than your eyes can look. That's what Dr. Marsman Law liked to say. Number three, and I like this one. I borrowed it from Dr. Mars. Vision is the ability to close your eyes and see better. Why does he say that? Because he says, because what we see with our physical eyes sometimes, our physical eyes are the, are the biggest disadvantage. Because people look around and they see circumstances and situations and they decide from what they see with these eyes that they are buying down. And then they start feeling sorry for themselves. Hmm? They become discouraged. They don't want to do anything. They want to take their life. They want to do anything because when they look around, all they see is, is destruction and everything. So these eyes sometimes are your biggest problem. So sometimes you must go like this and look with the eye of the heart and see beyond what these eyes see. 
I see a thousand churches in the name of Jesus. Oh yeah. I see thousands of young people being trained in the things of God in the name of Jesus. That's what I see. That's what I see. I don't see load shedding, even if it's there. I don't see technical problems, even if they are there. Hmm? We're going to need a lot of money. We, we have several buildings that we are building this year. Lots of money. If there's anybody who's a billionaire, please come talk to me after the service. I know how to humble you. We need many buildings. We, we're constructing Kitalabella next week and the other weeks. We're constructing several buildings this year. Big projects, multi-million rands projects. Right? We have some money in the bank, but we don't have a lot that can cover that. But it's always been like that. I know money follows vision. As long as it comes from God. You don't have to have it in your pocket. Because God will supply your needs from a very unlikely source. Ah, you're not hearing my sermon. I said God's going to supply your needs from an unlikely source. Hallelujah. Number four. I love this one. Vision is not what is, but what could be. It's not what is, it's what could be. Yeah. Yeah. You may be living in a mukuku right now. That's what you can afford. It's okay. It's okay. It's all right. No, 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 it's all right. You know, we, we, oh, this year is the year. We're talking about Limam. This year is the year. No, no, no. I did promise you I'm going to talk about money, and I've been studying on it a bit, and wealth and our relationship with money. And one of the major truths that Paul talks about in 1 Timothy 6 is the concept of contentment. We're sharing it with Mama. We're sharing it with Mama. The key to life is to learn to be content. Now, Mamela, no, 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 Mamela. Contentment doesn't mean settling for less. There's a difference. Contentment doesn't mean not challenging yourself. Mara, contentment means... Do you understand what I mean? You understand? Yeah. Now, if, if the other person can afford a beamer, a BMW, and when you can't afford it, right? Because how do you make? It's got a whole 10,000. And there's a beamer that is being sold, and the, and the monthly installment is 9,999 cents. You understand what I'm saying? And 10,000. Because of you're going to buy the bima. Contentment says, "Ah, uh-uh. kito kito reka koloi eki pata lang five rands ninety five, because I can't afford a bima, mama lang. And when I drive that car, I'll be content. Ah, uh, come on, somebody in the house. But learn to be content. Pace yourself. You don't have to wear designer clothes." You don't have to have bling bling from head to toe. You don't have to have everything bling bling. Oh, how? The car keep bling bling. The house has been bling bling. The car has been pimp my right. You know, pimp my hair. Pimp my teeth, girl teeth. And change your man. And at the end of the month, you switch off the phone because of Kolotabat. That's not a life, that's bondage. 
I said that's bondage. That's not a life. Be content, Barcelona. Live life at your level. Don't compete. I'll tell you why. Mamelam, Mamelam. Where you are is not the end of you. Oh, somebody shout with us. I told you my story. When I was working, I only had one pair of shoes, one jacket, two, several shirts. How to a one Yeah. Yeah. That's how I want to work. A jacket and a key field way. I had given by a missionary. I'm going to Bible school. I'm called by God. Ha! The anointed of the Lord, wearing borrowed clothes. That's where I was. Wear it like it's not borrowed. Ah, come on, Bazalan. Yeah. Groom yourself like you are wearing designer clothes. Don't worry, don't worry. Hey, Utofi, can you wear now one day? I said, Utofi, can you wear now one day? Don't try to microwave yourself into success. Be content. Chill. Yeah, chill. And you know what that does to you? You'll never be jealous of anybody. You'll celebrate what they have. Yeah, because there's a lot of competition in the world. There are certain people when they've achieved, they really want to come and show you. Not to celebrate, they want to zing zong you. But when you are content, you celebrate them. Say, praise the Lord. Well, one of the disappointed who you are not jealous. You say, no, praise the Lord. Can I pray for it? And then when I walk in, I'm texting. Somebody give the Lord a shout. Vision is not what is, but what could be. Oh, I see a better you in 2023. I said I see a better future that comes from God in 2023. Number five, vision is a glimpse of your purpose. Let's give you a few points quickly and I'm going to close. I, I'm going to try to wrap it up by half past ten. Good oh, 12 o'clock is fine. But half past ten. The service is like 11, by the way, so let's Let's give the following points about vision. A. A. Vision gives pain a purpose. Vision will cost you pain. Because not many people in life live by vision and they don't like people who have vision. If you don't believe me, go and ask Joseph. The only mistake Joseph made is to tell his family about the dream he saw. That's all. He didn't do anything. He didn't steal from anybody. He didn't nothing. All he told them was his vision. And just then, they hated him. <coughs> Excuse me. So vision gives pain a purpose. For that reason... People who don't have vision always take the easy road. Amen. 
Those without vision spend their lives taking the path of least resistance. And they try to avoid discomfort. Vision will bring discomfort. <laughs> vision. You go to bed and not be able to sleep, eh? Yeah. Because the money didn't come in. The project has gotten stuck. People are writing stories about you. Things are said about you. Sometimes your health suffers. When we, after we built this church, I got sick afterwards. Because for 18 years, I had carried the dream of building a church. You, people, you don't, you don't know, some of you, you, you don't know what ministry takes. I feel sorry for people who criticize pastors. I, you know, and I'll say, I said it last year, I'll say it again. I feel sorry for you. You don't understand what it means to run a church. You never will understand. You don't have a clue what it means to run a church. A church needs multidisciplines. You have to manage so many different things. And most of them you were not even trained in Bible school for. They, t- they taught us theology. They didn't teach us leadership. They didn't teach us business administration. They didn't. They didn't teach us sociology, how to handle people, because we are handling people here with you. It's different characters. They didn't prepare us for that. They, they taught us Greek and Hebrew. They taught us how to preach. They didn't tell us how to run a church. It's not easy to run a church. It's not easy to start a church. It's not easy to sustain a church. It's not easy to have people come back, listen to you preach. That's why I'm so thankful you are here. I'm telling you. That's why I put all my effort to try and make it worth the trip for you. That you don't come here and regret that you should get something it's worth your coming it's worth your coming yeah it's worth your being here yeah yeah but vision Bazalon will bring discomfort and pain don't be afraid of it it's a it's it's it's, it's part of the it's part of the journey you will forget the pain. Like a mom, a mother who's pregnant, when she's giving birth, it's a painful thing to give birth. I haven't given birth, so I don't know. <laughs> but it's amazing after all that pain and all that. All the pain is worth it. I see you holding your baby called destiny. And all the pain is worth it. All the pain is worth it. B, because I'm talking to you, knowledgeable people. B, the fulfillment of vision will require sacrifice. The level of sacrifice that a vision requires will determine the size of mission that you accomplish in life. Small sacrifice, small mission. Big sacrifice, big mission. In short, it's the size of sacrifices that separates the small from the great. If you want to remain in the domain of the small, then your sacrifice is small. There are people who don't know how to sacrifice. There are people who don't, know, who don't want to sacrifice. But vision costs for, calls for big sacrifices. So without vision, people will avoid discomfort, will avoid sacrifice, and they don't understand the purpose of their trial. We spent our days walking a crooked path Watch this now. Believing that every obstacle in the road is a problem and something to be avoided. Not every problem is to be avoided. 
Not every obstacle is to be taken off. Some you've got to climb over. Some you have to fight through. It develops you on your path of vision. In fact, ministry, Barcelona, is solving problems. You know, one of the reasons that, you know, just, you know, we are wired differently as people. When I'm at home, I don't prefer to talk about the church when I'm at home. Because, you know, church has problems. I'm always solving problems. So my, my concept is I go home to rest, right? But I go to work to solve problems. So once you can at a gate, bring them on. Every one of them, literally saying, and this is where for me, I don't know if this working from home thing can work because I, I, want to, I want to separate my life and dissect it. And I know it's not always possible for everybody, but I, I want space for peace because I'm constantly dealing with problems. In our church, we've got 70 plus churches. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about the teaching, the preaching, the preparation of lessons, the follow-up on people, trying to help people, comforting people, training leaders, being nice, coming to the office. I'm not talking about itinerating, visiting countries, going to other places, being in ministers' fraternals where I go. I'm not even talking about that. I'm not even talking about just the responsibility of being a good husband, trying to be, trying to be a good father, good grandfather. You have to have time for that. You have to have energy for that. But church people don't understand that. They think, how about Obama? They don't appreciate it. But on top of that, I have to stay healthy. Pasalana, listen. Many pastors, there are certain diseases that pastors suffer from. You don't know them. Heart conditions, ulcers, high blood pressure. These are diseases of lifestyle. Pressure of work. Pressure of work. Depression. These are problems. So you, you meet pastors who are sad and cynical and bitter. You meet children's pastors who dislike Christians because Christians mistreat them. No, no, don't, don't think what you're doing is easy. No, you, you come try it for one month. Just one month. And I'll call a parabendic to be on standby for you. Because <laughs> some of you, you will not last one week. But it's vision. Can't run from it. It goes with a job. It's vision. It's what I love. You go to work, deal with problems, come home, beat up, tired, go to bed. When you wake up, you want to go back. Hmm? You want to go back. You can't help it. It's inscribed on your heart. It's what you're called for. It's what you're born for. Huh? It's where you all your strength and your energy and your resources and your intelligence. 
and your time and your thoughts, it, it surrounds you. You think about it. You pray about it. You plan about it. You talk about it. You try to live it. And remember, after you've done it, the people can turn around and show you the middle finger. Yeah, they do. Many times. Show us the middle finger. Disregard, disrespect, say stuff. Talk about us like we are the devil himself. No, but it's a calling. Oh, no. How's I beat you? I don't try it. My goodness, how busy it's where God gives you the grace to be able to move on. The same with your vision. You're going to suffer, sacrifice, deal with obstacles. You have to go through mountains. You have to decide. Don't be too fickle. Don't be too, too delicate. Some of you, you are too delicate. Looking like a speed. Small things take you out of your purpose. Small obstacles negotiate you out of your future. Small onion comments, you are so upset about it. There's times when you must just let them talk, okay? Let them talk, they'll talk. That's their vision, okay? That's their mission. Your vision is a different vision and your mission is a different mission. Oh, come on. Come on, give the Lord a hand. Oh, yeah. Obstacles are not something to be avoided. See, vision is the law, is a law that governs us. Why? Because a law sets limits for us. And I was thinking about this in the week. You know, when you drive on the road, and I travel a lot by road as I go around preaching. One of the things I learned years ago when I started, when I was, I used to like to travel at night. I, then I used to drive myself. I don't do that anymore. I have people who come with me. I, I learned quickly, and, and I'm, I must confess, please, I hope we don't have any traffic cops here. Please, if you are one, be gracious to Bishop Mosasono. But I really obey the law, Mara. I'm not a slow driver. I'm not reckless, Mara. I'm not slow. You understand? I won't go further than that, but I'm, I'm not slow. I, I want to get there, you know. I mean, I'm a, I'm a visionary. <laughs> I must arrive. I can't spend the whole year on the road. And that's why when I've had people who have driven with me, but driver, I'm baba slow, and I can't drive one of the things I learned when I drove at night is when you see a sign that says 100 kilometers per hour you are driving at night you better listen you better listen the, the, the restriction is not against you they are not trying to deprive you of the goodness of a fast car it's a limit to protect you. Because they know that the, this road is going to go into a curve somewhere. And if you're driving beyond a certain limit, you might not be able to make the curve. That's what vision does for you. Vision puts limits what you do with your time, what you read, who you associate with, what you listen to. There are certain things when you, when you stay away. You see, and, and this is the thing, Bazaran. And young people hear me kidding, no, don't drink, don't go to go, don't have sex out of marriage, don't have funny relationships. They think, ah, man, you know, what, what? And I say, no, my child, you don't understand. It's a road sign. It's a road sign. I know, I know, every time I talk about this, there's very few hands because some of you, 
You are trying to create your own standard of morality with God. When God says don't, trust him. Trust him. And that's what vision does. Vision is a law that governs us. It sets limits. The law of boundaries keeps us in line. The law at the same time disciplines us to go through obstacles. For that reason, vision is a law that restrains us to a path of destiny. If you, if you obey the rules, if you obey the signs on the road of vision, you'll get there safely in one piece. That's what vision does for you. And if you don't have it, you just live anyhow. You drive at any speed. You do anything on the road. Oh, yeah. And then it costs you your life. D, vision reveals our destiny. Why? Because vision is what we see. It's not only what we see, but it is the way in which we see. You see, vision is like a lens that interprets the events of our life. And it helps you in how you look at God, your concept of God, and your concept of people, and your concept of life as it unfolds. Life is unfair to all of us, but some people, the way they talk, it's like they're the only ones that life is unfair to. They so exaggerate their problems. And so overemphasize their problems that you think they're the only ones going through problems. You know, some people want to treat some people like when you had an advantage in life, like you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth. I just don't like it when people in my community call me Mlunguam. I dislike it. And I say, Mlungu, did you see this guy? Did you see this? There's no Mlungu here. But because they see where you are, they make an assumption that you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth. And they think it's their right to ask money from you. Because maybe when you were born in an environment of dollars, they must ask me about my borrowed clothes. They must ask me about the peanut butter and cheese and milk that I ate when I was studying. They must ask me about the train that I took and the bus that I took for two hours to get to work. And I did that faithfully. Ask me about it. Don't ask me now. Because if you try to interpret me now, you won't know me. You won't know me. Allow me to tell you how I got to where I got. And you can do the same for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Vision is the lens that interprets the events of our life. Our minds, watch this, receive images from our eyes. And it's our hearts that interprets these images. So vision, therefore, reveals the truth. Jesus makes a powerful statement in Matthew 6.22. Can I have it up on the screen, please? Matthew chapter 6, verse 20 says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So in other words, he's saying, what you see with your eyes affects what your mind sees. And how you interpret what you see affects the outcome of your life. In short, he says, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. You see light? If you, if you look with the eye of vision, then the, your whole body will be full of vision and the destiny of your life will go the, the different direction. But it's what you see. There are people when they, the things they see destroy them. 
They don't learn from what they see. They don't learn from the things around. They see people always dying of alcohol in crashes, liver cirrhosis. They're sick, but even if they see, they see people, they see the pain of children who were, who were raised in families that are dysfunctional, but they still want to go there. They, 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 they see that the, the eye it doesn't have light. Excuse me. The eye is dim. They are looking, but they can't see. They are looking, but they can't discern. They can't extract a lesson. I'll say it again, young people. The reason I said to myself, I will never drink, is the day we slept over in a family, house of a family member, who was an alcoholic and an alidi horis. Nobody has told me horis. <laughs> I've asked you, I was either nine years old or 11 years old when we went to that house. I think it was nine years old, and I saw a man who had no control of his life, but alcohol had control of him. An adult man, decent man, who behaved in an indespicable way. I was just nine years old. That his behavior alone, even me as a child, I was embarrassed about what he did. And I said, if this is what alcohol does, I will never put that thing on my mouth. Never. Never. And some of you who are, who are teasing around with alcohol, even when you see your friends, what alcohol does to them, your eye doesn't see. No, you don't see. You think it won't happen to you. I'll take you to Proverbs. That's foolishness. Foolishness. I'm going to be closing in a while. If our hearts becomes bitter, jealous, hurt, or some way infected, then the lens of our heart gets distorted. See, what we perceive is happening, and sometimes what is really happening can be two different things. E, vision requires faith. Every vision is going to push you into territories where without God's help, you're not going to make it. Because vision consists of foresight, insight, and oversight that comes from God's sight. That foresight is like looking through a telescope. It is this outlook that allows you to know what's ahead of you. And it connects your future. Insight is like looking through a microscope. Because when you're looking at life through a microscope, it gives you perception and understanding of what happens in life. In other words, it helps you to discern what you need to do to get to where you want to get. And sometimes when you have vision, you see where you want to go. But when you look at what you must do, the two don't go together. The two don't go together. It feels like you won't get there. And God says to you, Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Zerubbabel, the hand of Zerubbabel has laid the foundation and the hand of Zerubbabel will finish the house. 
It may take long, but you will get there. And you're going to need a lot of faith. I'm taking a thousand churches. It's a lot of faith. Because I've got to train a thousand leaders. Got to build a thousand buildings. Or at least have a thousand venues. It's mega bucks. If just one church there costs us 10 million, multiply. Come on, thousand. You're not ill. It's a lot. Having to manage a thousand leaders. You know, they are, they are, they are, they are leaders. Bapulusi to Mara. Lebon Navanala Tabor. Some of these leaders are troublesome leaders. And they all come in different personalities. Some are a complainer. Some they're always sad. Some are happy. Some are coming like a speed, like I'm already preaching. And finally, vision must be written down and broken down in steps. Why? To accomplish vision, you must take it from the unseen world into the seen world. You must be able to read it and make it yours. Oh, God. Listen, Bazalan. When it comes from God, don't change your vision. Own the vision. Don't only own the vision, administrate the vision. In other words, when you administrate, you manage the task. You create a plan to take vision out of the unseen world into the seen world, out of the preferred world into the real world. It's when vision becomes a reality. When we walked in this building in the year 2001, my heart was leaping in my mouth as I walked in the building. 18 year long vision, 18 years of planning, disappointment, pain, hurt, statements, sickness, disease, obstacles, lack, persecution, challenges, people saying all kinds of things. But goodness, hold on to the vision. I said, hold on to the vision. I said, hold on to the vision. You know, when I go to the dedication of buildings and I watch pastors and their wives giving a speech and I see them break down and cry, I feel them. Because mama and I, when we walked in here hand in hand, one of my saddest moments at the time was my dad was not here to witness it. It was a bittersweet moment. Man who had paid for my Bible school tuition. Man who interpreted for me when I became a preacher. Man who allowed me to go to Bible school, and when I started a church, he resigned his church to come help me. The least I could do is to at least have a building that he could see with his eyes. Yeah. My goodness, he, he went home to be with the Lord before it could happen. And when I walked in here, one of the major thoughts in my mind is oh, I hope you're watching from the balconies in heaven. That your boy has been able to see vision be fulfilled. Oh God. Thank God my mom was there. And thank God we walked in here, wifey and I, hand in hand. You've always seen those pictures. I always look at those pictures. And I think about it. 
Because at the end of that service, back of the building, there's an old woman sitting. I don't even know. She was an elderly lady. After the service, dedicated had a party here, rather a celebration, not a party. <laughs> Praising God, thanking God. We prayed, we'd done everything. People had left. Two hours, people had left. Nobody here. She's still sitting there. And as a pastor, I'm already one plus one because in came Two hours later, I said, I, I must go go over. Maybe she's not well. Maybe transport her. Maybe, you know. So I walked up to her. She said, I know why you are here. <laughs> You're here because you think maybe there's something in okay, right? I said, go, go, yeah. Are you okay? She said, no, I'm all right. Are you okay health-wise? She said, no, I'm okay. Transport, Coca, no, my child, I'm okay. But Coco, why are you still here? I'm not a Coca-Cola, but Mara, why are you still here? But you ask at my age, you never get to see this every day. I've been in this church, and I know the journey of this church. And here it is, what you've been telling us about for all these years has finally happened. She said, wait, 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 wait. She said, it's not often that you see a leader do what he says he will do. And for you as a young leader to get to this point, I just want to sit this and soak this up in my heart because I may never see this again in my lifetime. Ah, you can clap now. You can clap now. Now close with that. As she said that, Tears welled up in my eyes. I turned and I walked to the front. And as I walked, this was the thought that was in my heart. God, is this what it means to the people that we lead? When we become faithful and true to what we said we'll do. They don't mind how long it takes. As long as we get it done. And then a thought struck me. Do I then understand the burden of the hopes that we carry as leaders? When we as leaders, we don't do what we said we'd do. That's why my pain and what has come become of our country. And our leaders who have become self-centered and self-consumed. Who have carried the hopes of the nation. When we made the promises in 1994. And we told our people there's a better future out there. This is what we're going to do. And as leaders, we forget. We forget our vision in the middle of the road. And we become self-centered and inward looking. And the people who believed and hung their hopes on the integrity of our leadership, their lives become complex. And their vision gets broken, and their hope becomes deferred. The Bible says the hope deferred makes the heart sick. When I look at our nation, God, I see a sick society. Things happening in South Africa that we don't know how to describe, but could it be? It's got a heart that's broken, hope that's deferred, and people who feel disappointed. You know what my wish is in 2023? That our leaders across all political formations our leaders at all levels of society, civil society, politicians, church people, civil leaders, social leaders, leaders at all levels. Leaders, please, 
could we again inspire vision in the hearts of people in our nation? Could we again be leaders of worth and leaders of integrity and leaders who will be about vision that no matter what vision demands of us, we will pay the price. It may take us 10 years, 20 years to get there, 30 years to get there. That's not what people are asking. People are asking us, if you are taking money to build a building, will you build a building? If you are promising us money for such and such, will you do it? If you are texting us and saying this money is there to finance the roads, are you not going to take that money and use it on yourself? At that day, I learned the biggest lesson in my leadership journey. That leaders, we carry the hopes of people. Some go on in life because they are taking a cue from you. Some go through suffering, testing and trial because they see you suffer. They see you tested. They see you tried. Some are able to see the vision to the finish because when they look up, they see you still running. Bruises and all, pain and all, blood, sweat and tears, feet bleeding, but you're still going on insults and everything on your life but you're still going on through winter and summer cold and heat sickness and disease through poverty through lack through problems you're still there leaders that's what people are asking from us they're not asking us to be perfect they're not asking us to be faultless they're asking us to be leaders of note who will follow vision Leaders who have sight. And the question is, what do you see? What do you see? And for everyone here, what do you see for your life? Your children's future hangs on your shoulders. Your family, even though they don't tell you, are looking at you, taking their cue from you. Are you going to drop the ball? Are you going to disappoint them? Are you going to be a leader that's going to so affect people that when they look at you, they don't feel inspired to even go to another notch or to take their life to another level? My prayer is may 2023 be a different year for you. May God grant you the grace. May God grant you the grace. Give the Lord a big hand of praise because he's worth it. Come on, give the Lord a big hand of praise as well. We thank you, God, that you everyone, help every one of us to write their own story as birthed by your grace and your mercy write our own story for the purpose for which you brought us into this world a unique one a distinct one and as we stand here every one of us we have a destiny and a purpose I pray that people will connect with you and be on the path of destiny please remain standing your heads bowed your eyes closed please 
If you are here and you have been invited, maybe you've come on your own. And as you've listened to God's word, you realize, you know what? God has a vision for my life. But when you look, you've been walking so far away from it. Sometimes you didn't know because because you didn't connect with God or you didn't really receive guidance at all. But you've gone by in your life a life that's so far and distant from God, so removed from God. And sometimes our life falls into a state of disrepair as things break around in our lives and, and things get destroyed. And Satan the destroyer tries to tell you that there's no hope for you. On this first day of this year, I want you to know there's hope for you. There's a God in heaven who never gives up on anybody. Said my hand is not short to save. My hand is not short to reach out even to the farthest of those who are far from me. Jesus said, come unto me all you who are heavenly laden. He said, I'll give you rest. That's what Jesus said. Jesus says, take my yoke. He said, my burden is easy. My yoke is light. I want to ask you and I want to call you right where you are. I want to give you this invitation. Even if I'm speaking, I want to use the words of Paul. I ask you on Christ's behalf as an ambassador of Christ, will you be reconciled to God? For God has already taken that step to reach out a hand of reconciliation towards you by sending His Son Jesus to die on the cross for you. Will you receive that gift of God? Will you receive that mercy of God and say, God, I want to receive your grace. I want to receive your mercy. I want to give my life to you. If you are here and you say, you know what, Bishop? I want to have a new start. I want to invite Christ in my life today that He changes me and make me a child of God. I don't want to go down the path that I'm going. I think there's a better life for me and it's in the hands of God. Would you please pray for me as I commit my life to Christ in this auditorium and all those of you who are streaming, whatever medium you are using, wherever you are, you can respond in the prayer. If you're in the churches, as I call the people forward, you will also go to the front of that church. If you are in a house, in a room somewhere, you can write us and let us know about your decisions. But in this house, if you are there, right, standing right there, and you say, you know what, Bishop, I need prayer, please. Would you please pray for me? My life is not where God wants it to be, but I want to make sure my life is in the right place today. Just come from where you are standing. Walk all the way to the front. Take all your belongings, all right? Your Bible, your bag, your purse. Don't leave anything behind. You need prayer. Just walk from where you are. Just walk all the way to the front. Come right now. I want to pray for you. Just walk all the way to the front. Come on. He said, Give you